Welcome, everyone, to your 2014-15 September edition of Voices of Experience. I'm Michael Hoffman, and it will be my honor to take over as your host for the upcoming year. As always, VOE has a goal to help you ignite ideas, tips, and techniques that will help you build your business and rock your platform. And myself, along with several friends, will tap into the expertise from around the globe to help you do just that. So let's introduce the new year by talking about introductions with our brand new CPAE, CSP, Christine Cashin. You know, one of the things I really love about what you do is how you start off your relationships with your audience before you ever start speaking, and that is in your introductions. Very, very important. Yeah, Give pe- me some secrets. People are completely missing the boat on this. Your intro is not your bio. Yeah, I got that right. Here, let me flip that for you. Your bio is not your intro. We are missing out on an opportunity to connect with the audience before we get on stage. If your intro is not having people looking at you and smiling before you get on stage, you're doing it wrong. Mm. There's a couple of things we need to do. First of all, don't be so braggadocious. There's probably a bio written about you somewhere. People have already Googled you and know more about you than you realize. You say there is a formula for an intro. That does that. Connect to the audience, get some smile immediately, and sets it up. So tell me your formula. Okay. I have created this formula to share with you. So get your pens and paper. And if you're driving, pull over. Hang on a second. All right. Ready. <laughs> there you go. All right. The first thing is ask three questions. Have you ever blah, blah, blah? Do you wish you could? Have you ever wanted more? You know, three questions about things that you are going to answer so people go, why, yes. Yes, I do need that. Oh, my goodness. So it gets the audience kind of engaged already. If you answered yes, you're going to be glad that you're here. If you didn't answer yes, you may be in serious denial. Ha, 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 ha. Our speaker today, don't use your name until the very end. Our speaker today has, and then do two or three credential lines, has written a book, has saved the world, has, you know, something credential-wise, has their master's in this, education in that, and then have two to three lines of, I have things like, uh, she's a professional runner. And then people almost literally stop and look up. She runs her own business. She runs around the house after her husband, her two kids, and her chocolate lab chewing machine. And people go, oh, she has kids. Oh, she's married. Oh, she's got a dog. There's some things in there that are relatable to people. Helping us get blah, 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 whatever the title of your speech is, please join me in welcoming from Dallas, Texas, you know, speaker, author, and speed limit violator. Have two things, consultant, trainer, speaker, author, and... Something that's a twist. I use average golfer. Some people use, um, you know, loves cookies or, you know, Girl Scout cookie junkie, whatever it is. Something that will make people look up and just already be connected to you. So they know a little bit personally. They know professionally. They know what's in it for them. Make it at least 18 font. You send a copy to the meeting planner in advance. You bring a copy with you as well. And ask them if they're comfortable reading it, which most of them are because... A lot of people don't give them introductions and make them create, don't create extra work for your meeting planner. Provide them the introduction in advance. Make it big enough so they can read it without their glasses. Fantastic. Now, that is quite the specific system. So let, let's go over this because I think yes. uh, I want to get this down. So your the first step is to ask three questions. Mm-hmm. Are these questions related to my topic or just any type of question? No, they're, they're the things that you're going to address. Okay, so the things I'm, I'm about to solve. Yeah, you're about to solve this you. problem. Do you wish people got along better in teams? Do you wish you had more time and energy? Could you use some ideas for stress relief? Whatever it is, those three things that you are going to hit in your talk, mm-hmm. get people excited about. You want them thinking, oh, yes, I totally need She's that. She's totally talking about me. Yes. I yes. love that. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you answered yes, you are ready to rock and roll. Yeah. 
We're so glad our speaker is here today. Our speaker, blah, 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 blah. He also dabbles in motorbike riding and, you know. Mud wrestling and neutron physics. Exactly. Okay. Um, well, he has maybe a not tattoo. Then. Oh, well. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, all right. So, ask three questions that are pertain to my topic and what I'm about to solve. Right. Our speaker is, and then you got three credentials, right. two to three lines of uh, why I have the authority right. to be in front of you. Right, right. He's been speaking for 15 years. He's been in sex, X amount, oh, boy, X amount of countries. <laughs> That's sex where? Sorry. Right. <laughs> okay. Scratch that. So, a couple of things. Maybe your education, how long you've been speaking, you know, if you've been published in anything at that point and then have a have maybe one or two personal lines you know yeah, two to three and you said relatable i love that so two or three lines. that are relatable lines mm-hmm. that are kind of fun okay good and then help us welcome our speaker who's about to solve whatever your topic title is helping us get better customer service helping us yeah. i love the fact that you connect it to the title of the topic yeah so you've set it up and then when you say please help us welcome our speaker who and then she connects it to the title of the talk right and then two titles then two titles for you and a twist at the end yeah. please welcome speaker author and diaper changer yeah. christine cashner grocery getter and it just it depends on the audience if i'm talking to women i'll say grocery getter or something like that if i'm talking to men i'll always use average golfer or something they can relate to or yankees fan or whatever it is look at you with the stereotypes well it's, it's so true i know it, it is, so, it true. is so, it so true it really <laughs> is it's yeah, it is true and uh please welcome da 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 christine cat your name needs to be the very last thing and when you get up and the moment it's so funny because as they're reading this about you you'll see the audience because they're expecting the normal boring bio that is not your intro but then when they realize it's something different they will stop and they just start to they need to find you they need to look at you it's the weirdest thing and then i always act like oh geez you know kind of like it's the first time i've ever heard this yeah. you know and i can't believe you wrote that yeah, <laughs> Why do you guys, i just yeah. can't believe he knows this and so as i'm going up on stage like a high five people or whatever and they just like you already because they they know more about you than just your credentials I relate to you as a person, and yes. yet you still come across as a professional. Maybe it could be maybe something funny. It's so great. For a while, when Oprah was on, I used to say, you may have seen her on the Oprah show. She was in the fourth row of the audience on the left-hand side. <laughs> you know, so even if you do have a fun line, I'll, I'll – uh, what else do I say? Yeah, so there's something to make people go, ah, ooh, what? Ah, you know? So. You might not have seen him on the Oprah show because he was escorted out by security. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I um, and, uh, and then you also talked about uh, just some of the tips. You've got your intro. And that, this is probably one of the scariest things for a speaker is to have any type of intro because usually the people that's introducing you are not, you know, that's, that's not their job. It's not what they do all the time. And so I like the fact that you said make it big, 18 font. Yeah, 18 or, yeah. I want to keep it to one page. Do, do you not have it? If you have it on two pages, it's too long. Yeah, so you need one page, 18 to 20. Do you make go over it with the person who's introducing you? Um, you I, make sure, I just make sure that they, like, I'll say, you know, you might want to pause after this. I'll say, if you just read it like I wrote it, you will get a huge laugh. You're going to be a huge hero, and you're going to set me up perfectly. Because it really is a setup to your program. You've got someone who goes, the speaker gave this for me to read. I mean, it just kind of blows everything. Yeah, I hate that, too. Um, Bam. Ask three questions that are going to, they're setting me up to what I'm about to solve. Our speaker today is three credentials that set up my expertise, two to three lines that are relatable. Helping us, whatever it Helping is. Helping us. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. Please welcome from, and you could t- put your hometown in or whatever. Like if I speak local, I'll say all the way from Highland Village and everyone laughs and they're Dallas because they know it's 20 miles north, right. you know, and then the two things and then the twist. Two things and the twist. It, it is magic. And it's really fun because I've worked this uh, formula with some people and they always come back and say, oh, thank you so much. It's so cool to get up there with people already digging you. You don't have to right. try so hard those first couple Great. of minutes. Well, it is magic and you are magic, my friend. Oh, I appreciate back you. Back at your brother.
With this month's emphasis on innovation, I can't think of a better person to speak to than leading-edge keynote speaker, author, and advisor on innovation, Mr. Stephen Shapiro. In a conversation, I asked Stephen, what does it take to set us apart, and what do we have to do to stay on the innovative thinking edge? Here's what he had to say. First of all, I know the things that set me apart as my somewhat counterintuitive philosophies as it relates to innovation. So I'll say, don't think outside the box, find a better box. You know, people saying, well, we need experts. I say, expertise, it's the enemy of innovation. And everybody say, hey, you should innovate everywhere. I say, no, innovate only where you differentiate. So my, my differentiator, my thing that sets me apart is a little bit around this mindset of somewhat counterintuitive, countercultural thinking. And so I spend more time trying to think about that and build around that because that's what sets me apart. And the things which everyone else does well, I might want to do them, but they're not going to be the most, they're not going to be my top priorities. So everybody else is saying, let's do e learning. Mm-hmm. I want to do something that's fast, short, mobile, and something that people can do like while they're waiting in line for a Starbucks uh, coffee, and at the same time, creates camaraderie, collaboration, and competition amongst all the people in their company. And so still e learning. But it's a totally fundamentally different form of approach. It. Yeah. Wow. Right, now, you said something I thought it was, uh, boy, right down our alley because it's a word that we use so often, and that was expertise. And you said expertise is the enemy of innovation. Yeah. Wow. What does that mean? Well, first of all, expertise is extremely useful for most things that we create, but it's going to give us a, a limited peripheral vision. So I love coming to NSA. NSA is my, my home. Sure. It's where I learn a lot. And at the same time, I'm not going to be able to learn everything I want because if, if I'm only hanging out with speakers, I'm only going to be learning about what I can learn from speakers. So I'm always looking at what I call purposeful tangents. To me, a purposeful tangent is what is something that's related to what I'm doing, but it's a different area. For example, I talk about innovation. I don't go to innovation conferences. I don't go to any innovation conference. If I'm speaking, I do. I don't go as an attendee. I have no interest. I don't even go to network because I just – I don't even want to hang out with those people. Uh, But I say to myself, you know what? Neuroscience, psychology, sports performance, and my latest hobby is magic. Those all give me insights into the brain and the way people innovate. So actually in in just a few weeks, I'm spending a weekend with a world-class magician in Las Vegas – learning magic and understanding how the brain gets fooled because if we understand how the brain gets fooled I can apply that to my innovation work because innovation is all about understanding what your blind spots are that's really all it is well expertise creates blind spots and so the only way to expand your peripheral vision is not to do random things necessarily but to find those purposeful tangents things that are related to something you're working on as just a, as a quick aside a very purposeful tangent I love this group it's called Pumps and pipes. It's a group in Houston of cardiologists and gas pipeline people who get together to share, you know, how can we learn from the cardiovascular system and apply it to oil and gas pumps and pipes and vice versa. And it's a really, I mean, that's just a really cool, radical way. Instead of, you know, hanging out with cardiologists where you're going to learn a certain amount, Mm -hmm. okay, what's the purposeful tangent? Well, as speakers, What's the purposeful tangent? It's going to be different for everybody. I mean, that's the reality. You have to decide what aspect of speaking do you want to have a purposeful tangent around. 
you still want your core. I mean, NSA is the core. So I, you know, I will always come here. <laughs> <laughs> so clearly, I love this place. And I put my money where my mouth is. And I would say augment it with, like, I have a couple of masterminds. One of them is, you know, made up of NSA people. But another one, no one is a speaker. One is an entrepreneur. One's in real estate. Another one uh, is a, an executive in multi-level marketing organizations. Another one's in Hollywood. And so we get to connect the dots across different groups. And I think that's just really cool and it gives me new insights. And so expertise is valuable, but it will limit your ability to really expand your mind. Wow. Who are you hanging around with? Who are you surrounding yourself with and who are you letting you influence your innovation? If we understand the way the brain's wired, we're wired to hang out with people who are like us and who we like uh, because it's natural and it's comfortable. And that's just sort of this survival mechanism. If I stay with my tribe, all is good because we've got each other's backs. Uh, the, the expression opposites attract has actually been scientifically disproven. Opposites detract. So if opposites detract, well, we're going to want to become clicky and, and join small groups because that, that feels safe. Safe. It's, it's safe. So we have to recognize that to do what we're talking about here is an unnatural human act to hang out with people who aren't like us. Only for the brave. Only for the brave. <laughs> I am sitting next to my friend Sam Richter, author of the best-selling Take the Cold Out of Cold Calling Web Search Secrets. And I say best-selling because this has won so many awards. It gets a little, it gets a little nuts. Tell me just exactly what is this one? Well, it's won a sales book of the year, mm -hmm. uh, best sales book, uh, USA Book Award winner. And I've been blessed. It's actually in numerous languages now in its 12th edition. The thing that really sets you apart, Sam, is that you have helped us take this tool, which mm -hmm. I, I know you're going to do for us today, on taking the tool of the internet and setting us up as successful salespeople because I go into a situation where I would love to do business with you armed with information sure. that really sets me up to have a, a competitive edge. I'm of the belief that with the internet today, if you know how to use the internet correctly, and there's components of the internet, you know, Google, regular search engines, what I call the invisible web, and even today social networks, if you know where and how to look, you can oftentimes get the answers to the majority of those questions before you walk in the room, before you send an email, before you have that pre-call with the meeting planner. You can have the information. So instead of asking basic questions like, tell me a little bit about your business, you can say something like, hey, Michael, before we met, I did a little bit of homework on your company. And it, you know, it seems to me that you're doing X, Y, Z. But, but what really is incredible is you're taking a totally different track than your customers and your competitors in the way they do business. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about that. It keeps you from asking questions that everyone would ask and get to deeper, more important questions almost immediately. And that's the real key, yeah. is asking those meaningful, those authentic questions. The beautiful thing about the internet is all the information you want is already is out there. there. You just got to find I it. I can arm myself with that. Exactly. Because the bottom line is, as speakers, we all know there's, there's thousands of great speakers out there. You're that event planner. You're that bureau. You're one of three, maybe five choices. All three of you are going to do a great job. All three of you are going to cost the same. How do you differentiate yourself? I believe it's the person that can go in and genuinely show that they care and that they're exceptionally interested in doing a custom program, really helping the other person achieve their objectives. That's the one that's going to win the business. Wow. And so showing them that you care 
is being armed with information about right. them so that I can demonstrate that I know who you are and I've been thinking about you from the beginning. That That's would correct. be a massive differentiation. Give me some tips. I want to be the Google king. Well, I think uh, you know every speaker out there is going to go Google the company. Okay. Right? I kind of call that Google nursery school. Well, of course <laughs> you're going to do that. You're going to go look at the company. Well, let me ask you a question. You're the CEO of a company and you've got some problems going on. You're having this big conference. You're going to bring in a speaker. Whatever those problems are, if I go to your website, if I go to your homepage, is there this like big yellow starburst sitting on your homepage? Click here to learn why we <laughs> suck and why we need to have a sales conference. Here's our problems. Click here. Yeah, no, they're not going to do that. So, yeah, you got to look it at the website. It would make it a lot easier, though, Sam. I'll be honest with you. You got to look at their website. You got to know what's going on, what the company does, but it's going a little bit deeper. It's maybe it's finding a newspaper article, a trade journal article, a conference where the CEO spoke. And you can use simple Google search tricks to find that information. So for example, uh, one, here's a tip for you. Let's say I'm going to be calling on the CEO of the company. I want to go find a newspaper article where that CEO is quoted. There's a website called You Got The News, www.yougotthenews.com. And it's a search engine, kind of like Google, but this search engine, what it does is it looks at more than 5,000 newspapers, everything from the Wall Street Journal to the New York Times to the Poughkeepsie News to the Star Tribune to the Lakeshore Weekly News. And oftentimes it's those wow. smaller publications mm-hmm. where a CEO might be quoted, or there might be somebody in the local newspaper saying, you know, hey, this company just had 15 layoffs. I wonder why. So that might be one place. Now, if it's a larger company, maybe a publicly traded company, oftentimes CEOs are giving presentations. You can actually use Google to find presentations. How? You use what's called a file type colon PPT or a file type colon PPTX. And what that's going to do is Google's going to go out there and find PowerPoint presentations. Let me show you how to do this. If I'm in Google... Let's say I'm going to go do a um, presentation. I'm going to do a pitch for General Mills, the food company located in Minneapolis. I'll go in and I'll type in Google General Mills. Now, a trick is to put two words, put a proper noun within quotation marks. Proper noun within quotations. Correct. Anytime you're searching for a proper noun, name of a person, name of a company, put it in quotes because when you do that, the search engine is going to treat the words within quotes as a single phrase. I'm going to put in General Mills plus 2014 plus report, plus CEO. What I'm doing is Google, when it searches for documents, like PowerPoint documents, it's actually going to look inside the PowerPoint document for the words. So for lack of a better term, when Google's searching for a file, a Word document, a PDF file, a PowerPoint document, it literally will open up that file, vacuum up all the words inside that document, the entire document becomes searchable. And then here's the magic trick. I end that search with file type colon, PPT. And so instead of Google going out and searching the web for that information, the file type colon PPT will actually go out and find PowerPoint documents where inside the PowerPoint documents are the words that I'm interested in. So maybe I so could... So if they wrote a PowerPoint presentation, presentation right. with their name on it or the, their, their title, who they, who they are, it's That's exactly right. Now, if I don't find something with a PowerPoint document, I might try a PDF file. Same search... But this time, file type colon PDF. Instead of searching the open internet or web pages, what I'm looking for are PDF files. What are typically PDF files? Research reports, white papers, industry articles, trade journal articles, those kinds of things. Internal documents sometimes. 
So I'm going to try to find a piece of information. And inside there, what I'm looking for is where the CEO says something like, we're most concerned about competition from Asia, or you know, our biggest concern is the price of oil, whatever it might be. Then when I go in and I pitch, I can say something like, and here's the magic words, Michael, before I meet with people, I like to do a little bit of homework. You know, you're a super busy guy. I don't want to waste your time. I want to make sure what we're talking about is what you might care about. And guess what I found? You know, I saw that PowerPoint document. I'm freaking out right yeah. now, to be honest with you. Well, <laughs> I'd like to know what you found out about me. <laughs> and, and, but that's not the key, right? Right. Because, and, and that's a magic phrase. So guess what I found? And then I can talk about, you know, I reference a statistic. I reference a quote from your CEO. I reference a quote from the board of directors where all of a sudden, A, you know that I care. Wow, this guy took the time to do his homework. I show that I care, I massively impress, and I'm proving to you without even me saying it that, hey, you work with me, my program is going to be completely customized to what you care about. Now, you said something very interesting. You got a little bit scared there. Well, what'd you find? When we set up our meeting, when we set up our call three weeks ago, you're like, yeah, I'll meet with the sales trainer. When you saw my name on your calendar this morning, what was going through your head? Can't wait to see Sam oh, Rinker. Wow. And if I come in and, I, and it's the standard pitch... You know, I'm talking about myself rather than talking about you. You know the small talk that's going on in your head? It's like, when are you going to leave? When is this guy going to go away? But the second I say, hey, Michael, you know, before I meet with people, I I like to do a little bit of homework. I just want to make sure we're talking about things you might care about. And then here's the magic phrase. And guess what I found? What happens 100% of the time when I say that phrase? Oh, uh, tell me what you well, found. What, what, what'd you well, find? You're immediately talking about them. What did you find? What'd yeah. you find? It could be as simple as looking at your Love LinkedIn that. profile. Maybe I find out where you went to school. Hey, we went to the same college together. Maybe it's a, a nonprofit you're involved with. Well, I, I donate to that same nonprofit. Now, all of a sudden, we're connecting on a, for lack of a better term, human level. It's not salesperson, buyer. It's two guys talking about something that we have a shared interest. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to use this information. Absolutely. One of the things I like to do is try to find something that I know you're proud about. Mm -hmm. So I'll go in and I'll search for press releases. Here's a neat trick for you. If I do General Mills plus press releases, I'm going to get thousands, tens of thousands of press releases, some of them from, say, 2002. I don't care about stuff from 2002. On your Google search results... There's a little button. Look on the results page. There's a little button over on the right-hand side that says search tools. Click on that button that says search tools. A little sub-menu appears. On that sub-menu, over on the left, it'll say anytime. Click on anytime. It gives you a drop-down list of dates. So I can do my search on General Mills plus press releases. I then click the search tools button. And then on the date, I might choose in the past week. And it'll pull up a press release from the past week. Now, first words out of my mouth can be, Michael, gosh, it's so great to meet with you. You know, I like to do a little bit of homework uh, before I meet with folks. And guess what I found? Hey, I saw that press release that went out last week about that big award you guys won. Uh, you donated what? About $4 million to this nonprofit? You know, I got to tell you Love something. Love the kids. Exactly. So we're connecting. <laughs> and, and I want to make sure the first words out of my mouth are something you genuinely care about because then it gives me permission to ask a great question so again using that made-up example hey michael congratulations on that press release i saw that you made that what four million dollar donation to the nonprofit organization tell me a little bit about why that organization is so important to you for the next 20 minutes you're going to fill my head with all this great stuff i don't even have to ask a single question because you're going to just fill me with that information. It just feels so untapped. It's a That's correct. So great way to get information about the people that you're going to go talk to, mm-hmm. be armed with what they love, what they don't love, right. what they find important, what they don't find important, uh, 
personal stuff as far as the person I'm talking about, whether or, or general stuff about the organization, mm-hmm. absolutely fantastic. You had a couple of rules. Number one is when I'm doing a search, yep. I use quotations around. Again, anytime you're searching for a proper noun, name of a person, a name of a company, or even a phrase like annual conference, make sure you put those words within quotation marks. Otherwise, Google's going to treat those words as single entities. When you put something within quotation marks, they take the whole whole phrase. Okay. Now, the next trick that I use is what's called the minus sign. If you attach a minus sign to a word, it actually will remove that word from search results. So a perfect example would be, uh, I use my daughter as an example. So her teacher wants her to write a report on the Vikings. The guy's from Norway from like 500 years ago, right? She'll go into Google, she types in the word Vikings, and what does she get? She a million gets responses. 70 million search results. Most of them have to do with the never-in-my-lifetime Super Bowl champion Minnesota Vikings football team. Now, she doesn't want that. Right. By using the minus sign, you can attach the minus sign to a word, and Google will remove that word from the search results. So I can do Vikings minus football, and the stuff that's left will be search results related to the word Vikings, but none of them will have to do with the word Football. So those are some Google search ones. Okay, good. And you had mentioned file type, and you write out the word right. file type. File type colon. Colon. Here's where it gets a little bit confusing. There's two types of PowerPoint documents. There's PPT or PPTX. Excel spreadsheets would be XLS or XLSX. Word documents, DOC or DOCX. Mm-hmm. PDF files, file type colon, PDF. Uh, no wonder the cold goes away from cold calling. I'm actually yeah. talking to a person. I'm looking forward to talking with you because I found a lot of connections I'd like to bring up on the fly. Cool. So. Very cool. Wow, Sam. That's absolutely fantastic. Uh, I pr- appreciate you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity and hope everybody uses these techniques to grow your business. Okay, unashamedly, I'm going to tell you up front that this segment is not designed and or geared towards filling your pockets or coffers with tons and tons of gold. However, I do believe that it is one of the foundations for anybody with any type of longevity's success, and that is thinking past ourselves. What am I doing? What am I creating? What am I plugging into that is changing the world? So I believe there is nothing more innovative than to tap into the people that are literally in large ways and small ways changing their world. And this month, we're going to kick it off by starting with best-selling author, speaker, and creator of SpeakerNet News, CSPCMC, and our very good friend, Rebecca Morgan. Oh my gosh, such a love. How are you, darling? I'm very good, Michael. I am so happy to be talking to you because... You could talk about so many things, you know, author, extraordinaire, owner, speaker net news, tapped into everybody, everything, done it all. But you're doing something that I think is so cool and innovative that really takes purpose for what we do as speakers and really helps us reach out. And I want you to tell us about it. I'm talking about Books for Treats. Tell us about that concept. It's so wonderful. So Books for Treats is a way for individuals and communities to shift the Halloween treat concept to for their trick-or-treaters. So instead of candy, we encourage people to give children's books. And so some people say, oh, well, I give, you know, raisins, and my dentist says I give toothbrushes, and I say, but the kids don't want toothbrushes, and they love books. I've been doing this at my house since 1995, and I've only had two kids out of all those years who said, I don't want a book. 
if you give out books at your own house, you now are in conversation with the kid, you're in conversation with the parents, you get to know these people you haven't met who maybe live a block away. Now you have a community connection that you didn't have before by throwing a piece of candy in a kid's pillowcase or jack-o'-lantern. You're now in conversation with these people. You're now in relationship. You now have a, a tighter connection with your neighbors because you got to discuss a book. So you say, but children's books are expensive. Well, you can get them donated or you can buy them garage sales, thrift stores, book used bookstores, library book sales. Or we have a source where you can buy new used new books for 50 cents each through a 501c3. And the purpose is to help kids change away from cavity and diabetes and obesity causing sugar to something that feeds their mind not their cavities so we encourage people to give brain candy in the form of books tell me about how this works what do you do to set this up and how can i do it all right so there's two prongs you can do it individually at your house or you can do it with your community so i did it at my house for six years kind of beta tested it made sure it worked then uh, created a, a kit that people download on the site with pictures of how to set up the boxes of books on your porch and how to label them and how to tell what books are what grade level. So that's you. You collect at the thrift stores, the library book sales, etc. Then there's a community. So we gave out 10,000 books in San Jose last year in four distribution sites. And so we obviously need masses of books and we have connections with other nonprofits where we can get books for the 50 cents a book. Um, so we have uh, a setup where there's community trick-or-treating in the merchants area of San Jose. So the kids go during the day after school and they trick-or-treat to the merchants and we are set up there. How many merchants are, are giving mm, you a book? Oh, gosh, in our district, probably 50. Actually ha- now have a system because it's a pain for the merchants. They did it initially 20 years ago as a way to th- thank the community. Sure. But now they don't do any business that day because the kids are trick-or-treating all day and nobody comes to buy anything. So we now have a deal with them where if they donate to Books for Treats what they would have spent on candy, they get a sign in their window that says, our treats are at Books for Treats, and they point to where our tables are. So they love this because they still get to participate. They still get the good feeling from the community that they're participating, but they don't have to buy the candy. They don't have to distribute the candy. They don't have to be disturbed by 4,000 kids and their parents coming in throughout the day just to get candy. So you're giving away a lot of books. 4,000. We give out 4,000 in our little neighborhood in San Jose, in our little enclave, yeah. No kidding. Now, that's quite an investment. So if I want to do this, just off the top of my head, I just uh, immediately, you know, you have those people that maybe they can't match your fee. And so I still want to serve you, but I don't want to create a a client that is seeing me as undervalued. So I can't take the fee. However, I do want to work with you. This is a wonderful thing to say. I'll tell you what you you do is you're going to be my new sponsor for Books for Treats. Oh, I, I love that idea. So uh, any other ways to get sponsors? Any other tips? People just love the idea, so they send us money. On booksfortreats.org, there's a page that talks about all the different sponsorship options and and what they get for what what denomination that they donate. I love the idea, concept, giving away books. Are these mini books? Are these just regular books? Regular books. Where do I go? How do I do that? Go to whatever source of buying inexpensive books you have. Are there tips on the website for that? Yeah, okay. there are. And you sort them by what the kit tells you on how to sort them by the age groups. 
up until when? What do you, what do you think the people that are collecting books? Sixth grade down. Sixth grade down. So, and we have a lot of babies, so we give board books for up to two years old. And if you've got a community that needs books, then contact me because we do have this nonprofit that um, we can buy books at very inexpensive, but it has to be through a nonprofit. How do chapters, NSA chapters, get involved in this? Well, any chapter that wants to do it can be involved. So they would spearhead it. They would find the distribution place, usually a place where there's already trick-or-treating happening. And so they're just one of the booths or one of the places where the kids would go. Churches sometimes do this, uh, community centers, uh, even um, shopping centers where they'll have trick-or-treating inside. And so... The chapter could sponsor a books for treats uh, booth or or table or whatever it is at one of these events, and um, it, all the instructions are on booksfortreats.org. If you are looking for a way to get innovative on how to serve your community, how to be a part of your community, think about Books for Treats. You don't even have to make it up; it's already in existence, and we want you to be a part of it. So go to booksfortreats.org and be a part. You are magnificent. I am deeply passionate in love with you. Always have been. Isn't that fun? (laughs) I can't believe I'm sitting here next to Heather Lutze, extraordinaire, woman who has changed your life. First of all, you came out to our chapter and rocked (laughs) the world, rocked the world on how we see and use the computers. You are the author of three books. I am. Book number one. Findability Formula, the easy, non-technical approach to search engine marketing. Life-changing, very innovative. Thank you. Uh, no, no joke, uh, phenomenal book. But book number two. Thumbonomics, the essential business roadmap to social and mobile marketing. Fun to say, everybody. Thumbonomics, do it yourself. And, and book number three coming out, which is exciting. Marketing Espionage, how to spy on your competitors and your customers to dominate online. That sounds awesome. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, let's, let's get down to it because I want you to impact and ignite my business. On the internet, Google obviously is everything. The search engines are everything. So how is what you talk about important to us understanding how Google works? I always try to take people back to when Google was not Google. It was back just as it was a Stanford research project. Larry Page and Sergey Brin were doctoral candidates on the Stanford campus, and they were frustrated. They couldn't get access to all the professorship and student content that was live and new and relevant. They had to wait for years for that to be published in the library. So what they decided to do is create a database that indexed thought leaders, professors, students, and have access to it right away. And this is what and how Google was originally started. And so Google still holds that true today. They're looking for the most current, relevant thought leaders in specific topics. So when I Google a topic, I ask a question, it only wants to give its most precious asset, those top 10 search results, to the very best professors in their space. And that relates to us as people that have many different types of platforms and area of expertise that I want people to be able to find me in the proper way. That's right. So your books are focused on how you use that concept of the of Google to to help people find us. Google is the ultimate broker between our customers and ourselves and our message. So we have to deal with the robot, but the robot is very concerned about the customer engagement, the customer requests. So Marketing Espionage, my new book, is all about taking, I've been in the SEO search engine optimization space for 14 years now. And it's about taking all those secret uh, tools of the trade, tools that I've been using forever in my business, and reverse engineering them so I can be a thought leader and create content in a way that searchers want to receive it. Not as a speaker, 
I'm going to push my keynotes out into the world and everyone would love me. It's about being mindful of what the searcher wants, using tools that'll tell me what they want. And I blog and I social and I create websites based on that request. By the way, do we sound like that as professional speakers? We... Oh, yes. <laughs> okay, good. Yes, so, we, are, we are obsessed with speaker keywords. Uh, I am a marketing speaker. So. I am a leadership speaker. I am a inspirational speaker. And ironically, I've worked with a number of, of speakers. And those are actually some of the lowest search phrases are these speaker keywords. Now, let's get into it a little bit. I have to really know myself. How am I coming across and how do I find out about me? How do I find out about my customers and how do I find out about my competitor? Right. All right, right. Let's, let's break those down. Tell me about Know Thyself. Well, Know Thyself is really about where do I stand right now? How do I take a quick snapshot assessment of how does Google see me now? Where am I findable now? Am I connecting with customers who care about my message? So the first tool I love is a website called marketinggrader.com. It's actually been around for quite a long time. It's by HubSpot. And it gives you a wonderful wide assessment of, are you doing the, the essential things that Google thinks you should be? Remember, if you're a professor, there are certain things you're going to do. You're going to, you're going to publish, you're going to teach classes, you're going to socially engage, you're going to have videos. I mean, you're a well-rounded thought leader. Remember, the robot sees that you're engaging in all these baseline credibility indicators. So as long as you have those baseline things going on, at least you're being seen as the credible thought leader that you are. That's a really important indicator to Google. Anything in particular that you would say, these are the most common, you do these things more when it comes to that search yes. engine? Yes, absolutely. So I always think about, you know, you, you launch your site, you're so excited, you write a check, you hand it over to the web designer, and then you wait, and you hear crickets chirping in the background, right? And you're like, what's not quite right? Uh, the problem is, is that, I um, that they did not come. that's right. You're using language that you've invented three steps, five key strategies, 29 steps. It's, it's not creating a website around what the searchers want. You've created a marketing piece, a brochure site and a brochure site. You have to push out into the world. I want you to have a website that is a lead generation magnet that pulls them back because you are talking about things that are important to them. Mm -hmm. So what happens is we launch a website and then we don't hear anything. And then Google comes within 24 hours, gets all the new information from your site, and then comes back in another 24 hours. Does it see anything new? No. Comes again in 48 hours. Does it see anything new? No. Then it starts, it keeps sending longer and longer visits because you're an irrelevant professor. You're an irrelevant thought leader because you're not putting new things out into the world. So in answer to your question, the number one thing you could do besides having a good website is to blog. And it's probably the one thing that I get the most eye rolls over. I don't want to blog. I'm exhausted by that. Social media is already too hard to be to keep up with. But think about it from it Google. It is daunting. Yeah. It is, yeah, yeah I mean, it is. To be honest with you, it is daunting. You know, if, that, yeah. if that's not your personality, get up and just do it every single day. I mean, yeah. uh, so I understand the blog. Any any tips on, on that? On yeah. I mean, blogging is as often as you have something interesting to say. Um, I train my clients to go in and use specialized tools that'll tell you what people are interested in, what they want you to talk about. And I talk about those things. I don't have to be a content generator all the time. I just go in, I Google certain keyword phrases. I see if there's any search volume for those and I write to that. So I don't have to be the generator of all these incredible, intuitive, creative ideas. 
I am actually writing to what people are already asking out there on the web. So you're saying this is connected to my findability is the way that I'm constantly adding new content to my website, which is you're saying one way is through your blog. Correct. And you're saying the way to look for ideas and things to talk about is to go to a, was it Google Analytics? What did you say that was? Yeah, so there's lots of different ways you can look at that. We use a tool called the AdWords Keyword Tool. Mm -hmm. It's called the Keyword Planner. And you have an AdWords account. You can use the Keyword Planner. It's a wonderful tool. Where do I go for this tool? Uh, You go to google.com slash AdWords, A-D-W-O-R-D-S. And I want to really encourage speakers and thought leaders to think about how can I convey to Google that I care about the reader, not just about marketing myself. I often find times that speakers who create content who is not liked and shared and followed and commented is because they created it from a genius they had in that shower this morning. Right. They thought about this great idea and they went and wrote about it. Mm-hmm. But it's not focused on what their searching customer, their hiring audience is searching for. So it just you post it and nothing absolutely happens. It's just sort of this wonderful idea you had one morning and then you're really disappointed because you put so much effort into writing it. And I'm amazed at how many people create content and they really don't have any plans for who's going to read it and who's going to see it. So this is what I have to say, and I'm going and to And I'm going to say it because I'm brilliant Which and creative. Which actually is and... not a bad thing. It's just that, you know, if this is what you have to say, can you tailor it to what your customers are looking? I mean, there's yeah. a reason why you're up there sharing. There's a reason why you've got the platform. So yeah. is there a way that you can tailor it to the way your customers saying those things? You know, the customers are ones that are going to fill our bank accounts. Right. And yeah. I think we're all brilliant and we're all great at what we do as speakers and thought leaders. But we're here to take care of our families and to evangelize and help business owners and meeting planners. And this is this is what we should be doing. In your book, Marketing Ash, one of the things you talk about is know thyself. The other one is know thy customer. Yes. Give us some insights. Give us some tools. How do I get to know my customers using the tools on the net? Well, a lot of times I think people will fixate. They'll go and they'll Google their name and they'll see who's there and they'll Google like motivational speaker, inspirational speaker, and they'll really fixate on who's on there. So in regard to knowing thy customer, it's about kind of getting rid of a lot of those keyword phrases that you've become egoically attached to. And when meeting planners are searching, they're going to search for an outcome for their meeting. So oftentimes we think motivational keynote, inspirational keynote. Well, what I've found with the meeting planners I've worked with is that they're looking for a specific outcome, a theme. Um, they want Ignited their, audiences. Yeah, they want, their, they want their audience members to leave with actionable items. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be searching for thought leaders who are already in play with that. And very little search volume comes from those speaker keywords, which is always a very difficult message to deliver. Mm. So you, are you using keywords to, to, when you say look for patterns, are you looking for patterns of behavior? Are you looking for patterns of pain? Yeah. I have a wonderful story about a client I work with. You might guys remember it's video professor. He was bald. Very, He'd very be like two mom. o'clock in the morning, try my product. If you guys don't sleep a lot, you've probably seen his commercials or used to. Anyway, um, I did a bunch of work for him and we tested thousands and thousands of keyword phrases. And the number one phrase that converted at an 85% was Excel sucks. <laughs> And a career is born. And a career is born. <laughs> no, Excel sucks because they're like, I hate Excel. I can't get Excel to work. But it's true. And then with 85% conversion rate off of that. So then we started looking at not Excel training and Excel work- workshops, but all the frustration around Excel and Word and PowerPoint and all of these. And people would just type that right into Google. Excel sucks. I hate PowerPoint. And those were fantastic converting phrases. Give me a specific example. Walk me through how I might search for 
uh, my customers' pain. Sure. So a site that I use all the time is called spyfoo.com. You're going to go just pull the site up. You'll see the very top of the web page, there is a search box. You can put your website address or you can just put a keyword phrase in there. And then what happens. This is a keyword that I'm, I'm assuming. This is sort of my area of expertise. I want to see what my customers right, are saying. Right. You're guessing it. at this point. Okay. You're really putting in guesswork sure. at this point because you don't really know. Right. But guessing is expensive, so wouldn't it be better to know than not? So we're going to put in any of our guesses right into that search box at the very top of spyfoo.com. It will give you a whole map of uh, what people are also doing, different keyword suggestions, search volume for those keyword phrases. So you can start shifting your perspective from speaker keywords to pain and problem and help keywords. And that's when you're really going to see the traction for your marketing dollar exponentially grow. And then you take some of those words and you do keyword searches on those just to go a little bit deeper to see which ones have the higher hit. Yeah, the cool thing about SpyFu is you could actually, when you see those other ideas, you click through and it will keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper into that concept. So let's say you want to do something on productivity. Well, productivity speaker has very little search volume. So you type in productivity and it says productivity in the workplace, productivity in the home office, productivity in a car, you know, whatever. And now all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I just have three blog posts I could write. And it's directly aligned with what people are searching for. So it's like a win-win. What's the biggest benefit of knowing what my competitor's up to? Well, I think a big part of it is understanding if you're going to fixate on them, what keywords are they currently ranking under? See if the search volume is there to care. Um, oftentimes, you're fixated on where the, the competitor ranks in Google, but you're on a page that very few people are searching. So all you had to do is shift your perspective a little bit and say, okay, I'm not going to optimize for those phrases. I now know they don't get a lot of search volume. I'm going to now reposition my thought leadership around what the customers are searching and stop Googling that guy every day and saying, how come he's always ranking above me? It might be interesting to know what my competitor is doing so that I know what to avoid. You know, I do want to differentiate myself. Yeah, Would sense, that help? Yeah, absolutely. Set strategy. I mean, if all your competitors have blue backgrounds, you might want to think about something different. I'm zagging when they're zigging. That's right. If all your competitors are just those standard brochure sites, uh, about us, services, testimonials, con- contact us, maybe you'll think a little strategically and say, you know what, when a meeting planner looks at my website, do I look exactly the same amongst all my competitors? What makes me stand out? What we do with clients is we go in there and we print out all the competitor websites that we feel are our true competitors. We put them on a wall, very, very high tech. We use tape and sticky notes, so we put them all over the wall. And then we strategically circle all the elements that we think are exactly the same from site to site. We also look at what are the common elements that might make me ignore that site altogether because your five competitors look exactly the same. And then circle the things that you really think are innovative and creative and you'd like to maybe potentially consider that on your next site. And then you've really done some work to separate yourself from the competition, make yourself look unique in the marketplace, and offer something different that no one else is. Thanks for sharing. Oh, I I love it. I'm passionate about findability, and I just want speakers to connect and make more money. If they've got any questions that they may want to, you know, run by you, buy a cup of coffee, who do they call? Oh, I'm, I'm always up for a cup of coffee, yeah. anytime. Um, I'm, yeah, they can call my office. They can find all my information at uh, findability.com. Findability.com. Yes. All right, Heather Lutze, brand new CSP. Woo! Woo! Changing the world. <laughs> I really One keyword at a time. Yeah, you're a master. Thanks for coming by. <laughs> Thank you, Mike.
Kyle McDonald is one of the most interesting and innovative young men you'll find yourself in front of in a long, long time. He's known as the red paperclip guy because he's the one, by using the internet and connecting with people, building a tribe and tapping into community, he traded a paperclip all the way up to a house. But the genius of it all was building community. And here, talking to us about innovation and connectivity, is Kyle McDonald. Well, my name's Kyle, and I'm known as the Red Paperclip Guy. And I never, like, when I started, uh, I had this idea. I had this idea of trading up, and it was to start with something small and trade it for something bigger and repeat until eventually I got something huge, like like a house or something like that. And I just took a red, the first thing I saw when I thought of the idea was uh, a red paperclip on my desk. And I started, uh, I, I took the red paperclip, took a picture of it, put it on Craigslist on the internet, and I wound up trading that red paperclip the next day for a pen shaped like a fish. I traded the pen for a doorknob. And then I continued to kind of create this website and evolve a story um, over the course of an entire year and trade it up from the doorknob all the way up to a house located in Kipling, Saskatchewan, Canada. And it was uh, it was a wild ride, wild adventure. And all I really did was say, I'm just going to keep going till I get to a house. That was what drove the entire story. How many transitions were before the from the paperclip to the house? It was 14 trades in all. 14 trades you ended with a house. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Holy cow. Yeah. I, I got to know your thought process going through that. You you said that you started with a paperclip. Did you shoot for a house? I mean, was that a goal from the beginning? I'm going to turn this into a house. I kind of like lightly said it to friends, but I never specifically said, I'm going to do a, get to a house no matter what. It was more just to illustrate the concept of trading up and how it could go a lot, lot bigger. Uh, the first trade, you know, I traded a paperclip for a pen. These are things that people have lying around in drawers around their house. Uh, not the house itself. And uh, it was a bit of a stretch to even imagine how I was going to get to the house at that stage. The first few trades were just for fun, just to see what was going to happen. And I, I really actually liked more than the trades themselves throughout the entire story. The you know the, the items that I was trading for later on got a bit more interesting, you, you could say. But I, what was driving me was meeting people. It was an excuse to go meet someone in a parking lot and hang out with them. And why are you, why are you meeting this person? There's, there's all kinds of reason why you meet people. You get networking. You could like they have a funny haircut. You just start talking to them. Um, we were trading small objects, and that was just a great way to kind of get out of my comfort zone, meet people, travel around to new places. Um, it was never about trading up to the house per se, but that sort of created the the framework for what I w- really wanted to do is travel, meet people, and write about it. How did you really know that this might be something huge? Um, it, you know, I was finding people to trade with putting ads on Craigslist or the internet or having a website and 20 or 30 people a day were going to those ads or replying at the very most, maybe 20 people. And then at one point, uh, media outlets started reporting on the story. And what happens when you get a radio interview or a newspaper interview, people see the, the that content and then they contact you directly. But also other newspaper outlets started reporting on the fact that a newspaper had reported on this. So it kind of became this snowball. And then it hit CNN and um, some like Associated Press and some of these larger outlets where they literally had slow news days. They were looking for kind of positive, fun, quirky stories. It also happened to be the year that uh, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube and blogging kind of came along all at the same time. So people were saying, there's a guy who's trying to trade from a paperclip to a house. And then the tagline was, using the internet. So if, if someone was just doing this, that would be an interesting story. But the fact that and I never specifically said I was using the internet, but that became kind of like the uh, anchor man's tagline. To, that was what made it current. That's what made it really relevant. This was not a guy trading a paperclip for house. This was a technology story. This was—it's been slotted uh, under collectibles, office items, humor, 
technology, blog. It's, this story is appeals to people from so many different points that um, in many ways that was an accidental outcome. But I think that happened because I said something outrageous. I said, I started with a paperclip. I'm going to try and get to a house. It doesn't make sense. People go, what do you mean? They want to hear more. And then everyone put their own framework on why this was important to not only them, but to other people. And that's what kind of caused it to go, quote, unquote, viral. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, one of the things that I think you did that was really genius, you allowed people in on the journey. And you, by, by your blog and letting them in on the stories and showing your pictures and the faces they had. I really felt like I was a part of it and it's already over. Yeah. So I can imagine what it was like going through that. But I thought that was really smart is that you allowed people to play a part of it. And of course it's going to ha- you're going to have all kinds of things that come out that you didn't know because you're allowing them to play. I think that's so important. It was so, so people were following it serially. They were checking in every week to see what I'd been up to. There was people that were trying to positively become part of the project there was other people that hadn't had just heard of it and they said whoa let's just send this guy an offer let's give him a shout and in many different ways it was a very um collaborative effort i kind of drove the entire thing with absolute uh, obsession and focus on making it happen and having a specific goal of some house one day <laughs> but it was really everyone else who said hey i'll offer you this because I, I didn't ask for anything i just said i've got this if you'd like to make a trade Send your offer. At the end of your story, you showed a picture and you talked about how the the gal who made the first trade had a locket. She had a locket. It was a wooden frame and she had that original paperclip. And that really struck me because it showed that she's a part of this. She, oh, yeah. You could tell she owned, she loved being a part of it. She actually has a tattoo of a red paperclip <laughs> on her shoulder. and uh, She just thinks it's funny. And I've met many people through the years. I live in the town that she was living in at the time now. Uh, and I meet people all the time. And they're like, oh, I know Karina. She, yeah, the red paperclip story. They don't know the, the red paperclip story so much. And they know her as part of that story. And that's kind of the icebreaker and the connection. So that's, that's fun, yeah. Yeah. Joe Calloway is a real famous uh, speaker in our community. He's just such a good, actually, in the world, really. But he he really has a platform of using the technology that's out there to build community. Get Start a conversation. Just start a conversation. You did such a good job at that. I love sort of exploring what things are worth to other people. And the, and the Red Paperclip project was that. If you have a red paperclip, if someone doesn't need a red paperclip, why would they want to make a trade with you? And for Karina, at the very beginning of the entire story was, she thought it would be funny to meet someone who was trying to trade a paperclip. For her, the value was that connection. And I I like kind of playing around in that space, you can call it. Kyle, that's the power word, man. I think you are the king of connection. (laughs) The breath of fresh air, my friend. (laughs) You are speaking words of wisdom about business and about what I need to do, trying to, you know, connect with people and make a living with people and serve people. And and you do it so organically. It's just so fun. What a pleasure. Pleasure, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Past National President Lenora Billings-Harris, CSP, has stopped in to tell us a little bit about her new position as sworn-in president of the Global Speakers Federation and how you can take advantage of this phenomenal global resource. Lenora Billings-Harris is now the queen of everything. <laughs> national past national president of our association so i mean we've known you as the head of our ship you've been in leadership with us forever but you did something amazing this year at the convention and became president of global speaker federation 
which now means you are the head poopa of all speakers <laughs> around the world. Now, what, what does it mean? Describe to us the Federation. I really do believe it's one of the most untapped resources that we have. So tell us a little bit about what is the role of the Federation? Yes, it, it is one of those best-kept secrets that we don't want to be a secret. Mm-hmm. So the Global Speakers Federation is a portal for all of the professional speaker associations around the world. Now, currently, we have 11 speaker association members. So what that means is NSA is a member of the Federation. In fact, they're a founding member along with uh, CAPS, Canada's Speaker Association, Mm -hmm. and NSA Australia. Those three were the ones that started what we now know to be the Global Speakers Federation. Well, there, there are speakers all over the world. Right. And there are a few associations that bring them together. Why don't we bring the associations together so that we can all learn from each other, as Cabot would say, is learn from other people's experience and and share that knowledge. So overall, the purpose of the Federation is to support and advance the speaking profession through supporting the success of each association. So I would like... Uh, what I would like to see happen more is that the Federation becomes the place where we have positive gossip going on about what's great among all of those associations. Then secondarily, because each individual speaker who is a member of an association, they automatically are a member of the Federation. It's a network that opens up if they choose to use it by simply going to globalspeakers.net and logging in, any of us, wherever we live, can go to that website and find information that can be helpful to us, and most importantly, find individuals that we might want to connect with. As a professional speaker, I'm not part of an association except for ours, Mm -hmm. but I would love to understand how I can better use the Federation. Give me some ideas of how myself as a professional speaker can tap into this wonderful resource. Excellent question. So let's imagine that you have no intention of working internationally. For a moment. Let's okay, start. I'll have to imagine that because that is my desire. I know. So we'll answer that part too. Okay. But let's imagine for the moment you have no interest in, in traveling internationally to work. No problem. You still may want to know what's going on, let's say, in Germany because you have a new client mm-hmm. whose headquarters mm-hmm. is in Germany. And if you really want to look professional, you really want to look smart, you really want to find out what's the inside scoop about that organization... If you go to globalspeakers.net, log in, and click on the German Speakers Association's link, Mm -hmm. then you can find speakers in Germany who you could talk to then, or email, or Skype with, or whatever, and, you know, let them know what you're looking for, and that you would like them to, you would like to dialogue with them. It's really that easy because the associations around the world are just as friendly and giving as the individuals right here at NSA. It's part of the prerequisite of joining, isn't it? I, I, I mean, think you have it to, is. You have I to really demonstrate that heart. And then, of course, we love to have people from various associations attend other associations because just like here at NSA, that's where you make the, the really deep relationships. Now, to your point that you really do have a, a desire mm-hmm. to work internationally, mm-hmm. that's then, that then becomes 
even more important for you to use the resources of the Global Speakers Federation. Although the Federation, in its governing work, works through the boards of directors of each of the associations, any individual going to the website, you would discover that we have this one special network called Global Speakers Network for people who do speak internationally. The requirements to join, because that is a special network, so you do have to pay for that, but I believe the requirements right now is you have spoken in two countries other than your home country and you got paid for it. Mm -hmm. So that's how you would connect. And they get together in every association's convention, so they have a face-to-face meeting of those folks and they share and, and dialogue and talk about things like, you know, how do you get a visa if you want to go to, I'm thinking Egypt right now because I did go there just before all of the of the uh, upheaval mm. and that was one of the things we had to find out. But literally now, any time I know I'm going to travel internationally, the first thing I do is to go to that website, globalspeakers.net, mm-hmm. to see, okay, how can I connect with somebody in my area of expertise that lives in that area or lives someplace close to that area? I go to South Africa pretty regularly, and when they were having some challenges not too long ago, I immediately sent an email to some of my colleagues there, and I said, okay, this is what we're hearing here, but what's really happening? What's really happening? And then you can get yeah. the, really get the, good, yeah. the, the real scoop. And with technology being what it is, what's so wonderful now is now I don't even have to just do it via email. It's, okay, let's, let's set up a Google chat, I mean a Google Hangout or Skype, mm. so you actually see people and, and really can develop relationships that way. And don't you think that that is the number one secret of success in our association? You have to meet people. That's why you come to a convention. But can you imagine doing it globally through the portal Mm -hmm. of the Federation, connecting me with the other associations? Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't we be around the world? I think Cabot would be so pleased with what this has grown into and how we're surrounding the world with that vision of you help me, I help you, together this pie will be massive. Pie Earth. That's what I like to say. (laughs) Sounds delicious. I learned a proverb that I think so much describes the Federation in the way that it's connected and helps to connect all of the associations. I learned a Zulu proverb that I use in my own work, as a matter of fact. The Zulu proverb is I am because we are. We are because I am. Hmm. Ubuntu. Ubuntu. Thank you, Lenora. So glad you're in charge. Thank you. you Thanks for inviting me. Well, I don't think we can leave the topic of innovation without talking about what happens when all of your desires, your plans, and your efforts don't have the innovative impact that you were expecting. Case in point, platform. Here to talk about what happened, but more importantly, exactly what we're going to do as a family, as an association to move forward, is our very own president, CSP, CPAE, Shep Hyken. Michael, as you know, uh, the big issue of the day happened at the very end of the convention on the last day when the name change was announced. And uh, we thought it was very exciting. We, being the board, uh, thought it was a great way to reveal it. And it was meant to be a rollout. Over the next year, we're going to roll out this new name. Well, um, initially, we thought, hey, the audience loved it. They even gave Bruce Turkel, our guy in charge of the branding committee, a standing ovation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which uh, may prove that not all standing ovations are uh, <laughs> national speakers. A tell-tell sign. Yeah. 
But seriously, he did get a nice ovation. And quite a few people immediately came up and said, this was great. This was great. Love it. And all went well. And almost immediately, we went into the town hall forum where there were very few people pro and quite a few people against. Mm -hmm. And what happened was we found out relatively quickly that, you know, the objections that people had to the name from uh, everything, what the name stood for. He says, I'm a speaker. I'm not a platform. You know, platform means so many things to different people. And, of course, you know, one of the big issues, are you familiar with Michael Hyatt's book, Platform? Well, it obviously did not have the initial impact that you were looking for. But, you know, sometimes that happens. And one of the questions I have is, is what was the reaction from an audience that obviously didn't really realize that there was a need for change? Quite a few members and even the ones that were unhappy with A, the name that we chose and B, they were more unhappy with how we went about it. I'll get to that in just a moment. Sure. But what we, we heard from a lot of members is in spite of their discontent, they recognize, you know what, you guys are right. We need to do something to remain more relevant. And if it's in the form of a name change, that's fine, uh, because we're no longer national. We're international in scope. Uh, are we speakers? Well, uh, we probably should have been clear where the research came from. But what we found over the different surveys that have been taken from our own surveys, as well as the outside firms that we hired, is that less than 30 percent of us are true keynote speakers where we stand on a platform, deliver a presentation to lots of people. And that was the foundation of what our organization started as. When Cabot Robert and all those speakers got together, that's what they did. Today, that's a small percentage of what we do. It's not the majority. Uh, the majority are out there earning their, their living doing other types of speaking, using other platforms, if you will, such as a webinar platform or training or facilitating all you have to do is take a look at the CSP requirements and how they have evolved over the years to what they are today. Today, that CSP requirement has changed dramatically to include even, even webinars and different types of engagements. We felt that the name of our organization wasn't exactly accurate. One of my biggest observations in what I've been reading online and in the blogospheres is really the impact of the perception, the perception of maybe the approach that was taken in coming up with these ideas and how we're going to present them to the group. Talk a little bit about that. I think it was all in the execution. So the association members passionate about our association. I even mentioned in my video update, I felt like we're family. We received letters emails, phone calls, <laughs> almost immediately. Um, I kid you not, on, fr on Thursday, coming back after the convention, on Thursday, I was receiving emails for a period of time for, for a number of hours, average one every 48 seconds. Every 48 seconds from somebody telling me how bad we did it. I, I tell you what, it was, it was quite interesting reading some of these. <laughs> Didn't have the impact that you were looking for. The best emails were very respectful, were very constructive, and I actually kept those. And as we talked about, we need to engage membership. We need to create a committee of our members that aren't on the board, members who will speak out on behalf of our membership, and specifically members that were speaking out against what we were doing right then and there. And some of these people handled it so well, so constructively, that I said, this is the kind of person that I want on the committee, somebody that can definitely criticize, but not beat me up in the process. You know, say, hey, I'm going to tell you why this was a bad idea. And they list their ideas. And you know what? I can see it from their side. I get it. 
this is the voice of the membership that we need to hear from. So we're going to have a committee. Uh, we're going to put together uh, people that are, uh, yeah, I think, pretty smart people, people that most people would uh, even recognize and respect. And many of those people are against what we did as far as how we went about it and the actual name itself. And we're going to come back and we're going to share that news with our membership because that is a big enough situation or a big enough issue that it should be taken to membership. It it shouldn't be just uh, contained within the board. Shep, talk to us a little bit about Michael Hyatt. Sure. He's a gentleman. He's a gentleman is the best way to describe it. When we decided upon the name, we did our IP search. We did trademark searches. We knew that Michael Hyatt had a book out there, but we felt that his audience and his book, by the way, is about using social media. And by the way, I would recommend buying the book. It is an excellent book, uh, and it's called Platform. But it is a book about using social media as a platform to promote and, and be more successful in your business. And it doesn't matter if you're a business like ours who are typically smaller businesses or a Fortune 100 company. Using social media to be heard, to make a statement. And the guy is brilliant. Let's just let's put it at that. Well, we felt that we were a group of professional speakers or people in the speaking industry on multiple platforms trying to be more successful in our businesses. And we, we saw, yeah, there was overlap in the name, but we really didn't feel there was overlap in the, um, you know, what we were using it for. And, and to understand trademark law, I mean, does that really infringe upon his, his uh, IP? You know, it doesn't matter whether it does or it doesn't, and I'm not going to be the judge or the jury on this one. But the goal is, I mean, you can have two people with the exact same names uh, of whatever their programs are, for they're in completely different worlds, completely different industries. Example, I use Moments of Magic to describe a positive customer service experience. And I've registered that trademark for that purpose and for the workshops and programs that we do. Yet there are songs out there uh, that use this magic moment or moments of magic. There's a massage parlor, or should I actually, a spa would be a better word. Uh, There's a spa out there that uses the term moments of magic. And they're not anywhere in my world. And I could never uh, argue uh, successfully in court. However, with with Mr. Hyatt, uh, it was a little different because in a sense, he is one of us. And while we felt we weren't operating in the same space, it came to light that perhaps that we were closer than we thought. And that, that played into the decision. Uh, we wanted to do the right thing. Uh, we don't feel we were at all in violation of any ethics uh, issues. Uh, as a matter of fact, as soon as we thought we might be breaching that, we said, hey, hold on, let's talk about it. Perception is important. And we do not want to be uh, perceived as being ethical because we aren't. And so let's just do the right thing. So it seems that doing the right thing worked out for all parties involved. Well, Shep, I think it's a testament to the leadership of both you and Michael and the board. And how do we handle something when we're trying to be innovative and it doesn't really go the way you want it to? So how uh, how do we end this? Uh, what do you want us to do as a group, as a family, as an association? Where can we send our ideas? Can we continue to send our ideas? Sure. If you want to make a comment, the best way to do it is to go to feedback at nsaspeaker.org feedback at nsaspeaker.org and there you can uh, if, if at that point you can share some feedback and tell us what your thoughts are uh, any ideas that you want to share and we'll make sure that these are all compiled and they have been being compiled uh, hundreds and hundreds of these uh, are, have already been compiled and we're going to make sure that every one of them is considered every every thought is addressed yeah, feedback feedback is very important everybody's uh, comments will be heard So I think where we're going from here is 
I think we're a better association as a result of this. Hard to believe that something that was so drastic and negative for a short period of time, I think it may have made us stronger. And I'm excited about that. Close off this month, let's have a cup of hoff, which is basically me giving you my thoughts on the topics of the day. And this month, our topic was innovation. I got a question for you. What are you doing to be innovative? Without innovation, we just fade away. You know, consider the stories like Kodak or Swiss watches and the quartz movement or any other company that failed to see where the next road was to be taken and jump on it. I've got three goals that I want every listener to be thinking about when they listen to VOE. Number one, are you open to new ideas? Of course, we can't cover everything in an hour, but our goal is to put you in front of techniques and ideas, areas to focus on that make you say, what about me? So, were you open to learning? Were you open to new ideas? Or were you just listening for something that uh, fit into what you're already doing? You know, if you're going to be innovative, you got to get out of the comfort zone. So, I hope that you've heard something that makes you say, What about me? The second area that I want to bring up every month is don't expect to be spoon-fed. The word is adaptive. You know, if I'm going to be innovative, I've got to be able to hear somebody and take their idea and say, what about me? How do I apply this to me? Nobody is going to tell you how to grow your business like you, but we can give you ideas of what they're doing to be innovative and to grow their business. So you've got to take that idea and apply it to you. And the third idea every month is be a person of action. You know, if we just listen to everybody's ideas and never do anything about it, what a total waste of time. So I give you the challenge to find one area to look into or one tip or technique to apply to you every month. I promise you that if you're open to new ideas, adapt what people are saying to your business and be a person of action with one thought, one idea every month. Your business will bloom and your platform will rock. So to wrap up this cup of hoff, we have something innovative for you to check out. Call it a little Easter egg special treat for those who have the app version of VOE. In the future months, we are going to be adding video to the video app experience. So if you're in a place to check it out, just touch the movie slate icon on the bottom of the description section right next to where you hit play and watch a little taste of what's to come. And if you're checking out the app version of Speaker Magazine, on the VOE page, you'll find a longer version of this segment. Just look for the extra on the bottom of the page. Okay, final thought. I'd like to tap into some of the challenges that we've all been facing in this last month since the convention and just kind of remind us of what our founder, Cavett Roberts, told us and continues to tell us every single day, that we are an organization like no other. The way he puts it is, our job is sharing, caring, hugging, and loving. I absolutely love that. And I know we've been facing some challenges of direction and where we're going, but let's just remind each other that through all of the challenges of growth, let's remember that we are still a family, and families need to be a part of the crazy tornado and less of a victim of this crazy tornado. So let me encourage you, NSA family, to keep talking because we are listening. I think Tim Gard said it best at the CPA e-banquet at the last convention when he quoted, as I grow older, my family becomes my friend and my friends become my family. Well, that's it for the Cup of Hoff for September's VOE. We'll see you next month.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.